Welcome to First Baptist Church this morning. We're so glad you've chosen to worship with us today. And as always, it's a privilege to not only be able to worship the Lord, but to begin the service by observing a baptism this morning. And so before we baptize, we just want to take a moment to explain what it is we're doing and what we're not doing. And so when someone's baptized, they're coming before you and saying before God that uh, in obedience to what God's already done in their heart, they're saying that God has cleansed them from their sin, forgiven them, cleansed them. They are not, baptism is not another step along the journey to salvation. It's not another rung on the ladder to climb. When a person is born again and comes to faith in Jesus, listen, everything's taken care of then. Amen? Because what Jesus did on the cross takes care of our sin problem. And when a person is born again and believes and trusts in Jesus, repents and trusts in Jesus, they're saved, they're forgiven, they're cleansed. Baptism is an expression of what God's already done once for all in a person's heart. And so when a person's standing here, they're admitting before you and before God that they've sinned against God. But the old person, by faith, they've been united with Christ. And so the old, the old person has died with Jesus on the cross, spiritually speaking. And the old person's only died with Jesus. That person's dead and buried. And when that person comes up out of the water, it's also a picture, symbolic picture, of how they're a new person, how Jesus was raised again three days later. Well, that person is saying, I'm dead. The old, per the old me's dead and buried. And now I'm raised with Jesus. I've been born again. I'm a new person. I'm walking with Jesus. And so we celebrate today what God's done in someone's heart. And so this morning, Lydia Frills has come. Alright, so I'm pretty acquainted with this little youngin' here. And uh, come on, turn around like this so I can see you first. Um, Lydia has been talking to her mom and I for quite some time about baptism. And uh, we went back and forth and talked a lot. And A while back at, at a place where she was at, she made a profession of faith. And, uh, and so we, we kept talking. Her mom and I weren't so sure that uh, she was quite... Grasping, she was grasping those things mentally and intellectually, but we weren't quite sure uh, about seeing fruit. And so this is something hard for parents, hard for us too. It's not something to take lightly. We just don't baptize just because somebody wants to be baptized. Um, but here a couple of weeks ago, uh, she's been asking quite a bit about when she can be baptized and things, and we've seen increasing spiritual interest anyway, and some fruit. Um, Lydia came to me one morning and said, Dad, uh, I don't really think I really got saved back at church camp last year. And I, she said, I think I did that because all my friends were doing it. Which is kind of maybe what we were thinking happened, but not that there wasn't something sincerely going on in our heart. And she said, I said, well, what have you, what's happened in your heart since then? And she, and she said, well, I, I prayed just now. And I said, what did you pray to the Lord? She was in her bedroom. She said, I, she said, she said to the Lord, I repent. And I thought, well, uh, that's, that's kind of more what I was looking for. And we talked about what repentance means and so forth. And, and of course, she knows the right words to say, but we're just trying to discern what's going on in our heart. And I say that for you as an example of parents. It's a struggle for us too. Uh, but we want to be sure we're being wise and, and diligent in our role. So, Lydia, uh, I'll ask you a few questions so everybody can hear with your lips what you've already told the Lord and told me and your mom, okay? Lydia, do you, do you believe that you've sinned against God and deserve to be punished by God for your sin? Yes. 
Do you believe that Jesus is God's Son that came here to die on the cross in your place for your sins? Yes. Do you believe He rose again three days later? Yes. Are you tired of sinning and being queen of your own world? And do you want Jesus to be king and follow Him? Do you, do you want to repent and follow Jesus all the days of your life? Based on your profession of faith, Lydia, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All God's people say amen. amen. Of course, there's room at the cross for you. That's the first place you need to go is, is go to the cross. Think about what Jesus did. He paid it all on the cross. Call upon Him. And the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Then in obedience to what He's done, express it in believers' baptism. So we'd love to talk with you about that if God's at work in your heart that way. I'm going to pray for us right now. and I'll turn it back over to you, Tim. Father, thank You for allowing us to be here again this morning. and We praise You for the, the work of salvation that You choose to do in, in the hearts of those of us who are dead in sin and Father, we thank you for Lydia and how you've been at work in her and, and Lord, bring her to this, this point, Father, where she has not only grasped the gospel mentally and intellectually, Lord, but, but we believe in her heart. And so, Father, we pray for increasing fruit and for her to be a strong Christian that loves your word and, and loves lost people and wants to further your kingdom. We pray that for each one of us, Father. We pray for the one that's here today that's never truly been born again, that they would see that and they would flee to the cross. We pray for the one that's, that believes they've been saved, but they've never been baptized as a believer, that they would see that they need to obey what your word says and do it. And Father, we ask now that all that we say and do, the songs that we sing, the word that's preached, prayers that are prayed, may it all bring honor and glory to you because we've gathered here to see one another so that we might encourage and exhort one another and we've gathered here to worship together. So Lord, we pray that this will be, take, be taking place by the work of your Spirit. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Tim. Amen. Well, I don't know if there's any announcements this morning, but um, do know that we still have our regular service this evening at 6.30 and youth at 6 tonight. So as you stand, we'll go ahead and continue in worship. And Thanks, Marcia. I ask you to take your Bibles this morning and turn to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23. If you would, please stand with me as we honor God and read His Word together. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one underneath the chair you're sitting in or close to you underneath one of the chairs. Turn to the New Testament, the first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 23. It's been a while since we've been in the Gospel of Matthew, and, and so we're plunging our way through it and have been for some time, so we find ourselves back again in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus is confronting the religious leaders of his day. So Matthew chapter 23, I'll begin with verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. Verse 6. And they love the place of honor at feast and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others, but you are not to be called rabbi. 
For you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Verse 13, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing, but if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he's bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? Verse 18. And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and every, by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Verse 29. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murder the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Verse 34. Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, but some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the righteous blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's pray again. Our Father, we ask that the weight of this word would fall upon us and that the righteousness of God would be displayed 
in the preaching of your word and esteemed by those who hear it and that the compassion of God the Son would be displayed in the preaching of your word so those that hear it will esteem it. Help us to heed this warning to not follow the example of these false teachers, these false religious leaders, but not also to be like them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You can be seated. Albert Moeller has a weekly podcast I've started listening to a lot more lately called The Briefing. It helps me stay attuned to what's going on in the world because I don't really watch television news very much. But he mentioned this week that Pete Stark, 88 years old, had died recently. And Pete Stark was the first member of Congress. What was unique about him was Pete Stark was the first member of Congress to publicly acknowledge that he did not believe in God. The first to ever publicly acknowledge that. And Dr. Mueller went on to explain how that his lack of acknowledge, or his acknowledging that was unique because most politicians, most politicians, and some maybe because of votes and some maybe because of their religious tradition, will say that they believe in God. And if they don't, probably would not dare say that they don't believe in God because of wanting to get votes from people. But most politicians, far and wide, and has been the case, declare some type of religious belief. Pete Buttigieg is running as a Democratic candidate, uh, uh, hoping to get the Democratic nominee, a mayor from Indiana, uh, says that he is religious, says that he is a born-again Christian, but he's clearly not a Christian. He's clearly not born again. You say, well, how could you possibly say that about somebody? Because the Bible says homosexuals will not enter the kingdom of God. And he is married to a man. Yet he claims to be very religious. He claims to be a Christian. But most politicians call themselves religious, as probably most Americans do. But by their actions, we wonder whether or not that's true. In Pete Buttigieg's case, it's clear he's not a Christian. But sometimes it's just not so clear. But many times, those who call themselves religious, whether they be politician or not, their actions prove otherwise, don't they? They appear to be acting the part. This same sort of thing is not unique to our day, but Jesus was addressing that in Matthew chapter 24. Now, over and over as I read these words just now, the word that he used to refer to the religious leaders of the day was the word hypocrite. The word hypocrite that literally means to play the part, to be an actor. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus was teaching and the scribes and Pharisees were listening and they were looking for the opportunity along with the Sadducees to trap Jesus in his words. How foolish is that to try to trap God in his words? They didn't know who they were talking to. And of course in their futile attempt, They continued to reject his authority, 
So Jesus turns in Matthew chapter 23 and he addresses the crowds. Look at what your Bible says in Matthew 23. He turns and he addresses the crowds and says to them and to the disciples and he begins to talk about the scribes and Pharisees whom he had just shut up is basically what he had done. He had shut them up. (laughs) You like how Matthew chapter 22 ends in verse 46 it says they dare not ask him any more questions. So he turns to the, to the crowds and he turns to his own disciples. And in effect, he says to them, don't be like these Pharisees and scribes. He begins to pronounce seven woes of judgment like any prophet would in the Old Testament. Seven woes of judgment upon the religious leaders of the day who are hypocrites, who are playing the part, who are actors. These leaders whom Matthew's audience, after this was written, would still have been influenced by. These religious leaders whom they would have looked up to, Jesus is saying to them and he's saying to us today because after all, we have people that we look up to who claim to be religious. Sometimes people within our own churches. Sometimes people that call themselves evangelical preachers. They claim to be religious, claim to be devoted to God and God is saying to them, he's saying to us through this word, that even though they were to look to these scribes and Pharisees as supreme examples of devotion to God, he was saying to them, don't be like them and don't follow their example. They're misleading you. I'm reminded tonight that, uh, I believe it's tonight, that there will be one of these Hollywood award shows, the Oscars, I think, are tonight, where they reward themselves. It's kind of comical. But I've chose to title this message and it's reflected in what I think is the main point of this passage of scripture. Hell's Academy Award goes to those who are religious but lost. That it is very possible the warning here is to be very religious. And as David Platt and his commentary on Matthew explains, these men, some of them were probably sincerely devoted to what they were convinced was true. Sincerely devoted to their religious system. But sincerely wrong. Seriously wrong. They were religious but lost. And like Hollywood actors that play the part, play the part convincingly on the screen. And in the moment in watching them, you can be caught up in the moment and forget that what you see on the screen is not who they really are in real life. They play the part well. And Jesus says of these Pharisees and these scribes, these religious leaders, that's what's true of these. They play the part well. They fool you well. But they are not fooling God. And neither will you. And neither will I. Don't follow their example. They'll receive a reward. Don't follow their example and expect to follow their example is to enter the kingdom of God where they receive a heavenly reward. They're going to receive a reward and it's going to be hell. And he makes that very clear in this passage of Scripture. So believers, here this morning at First Baptist Church, don't follow the example of false teachers. Be very careful who you are influenced by or who you allow to influence you. Don't be sincerely devoted to something that's seriously wrong. And I would say that to anyone here. Be sure that what you're devoted to is the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hell's Academy Award 
goes to those who are religious but lost. These who are religious but lost, there are several things that Jesus summarizes up here. I'll summarize for you Jesus' words, but one of them is this. Number one, they don't practice what they preach. They do not practice what they preach. When I was growing up, you know, in East Tennessee, we'd have these old sayings you hear. You know, if you watch Andy Griffith, they have these old sayings sometimes, you know. And one of the ones was, every blind hog finds an acre every once in a while. You ever heard that? Maybe I need to say it again. Every blind hog finds an acorn, if you want to say it that way. It's pronounced acorn, by the way. But every blind hog finds an acorn every once in a while. Everybody gets lucky every once in a while. Now you say, preacher, why do you say that? Because every blind Pharisee, every blind false teacher says a truth every once in a while, says something that's true every once in a while. Now look at the passage of Scripture here in your Bible. Are you looking at it? The scribes and the Pharisees in verse 2 sit on Moses' seat. So do on whatever they tell you. Every blind hog gets a, finds an acorn every once in a while. Sometimes they teach the truth. And as far as they teach the truth, Jesus is saying, do that. Submit yourself to Scripture. Sola Scriptura. Scripture alone. Practice what the Scripture says. If they're saying something truthful about Scripture, then submit to that. But don't follow their example. Notice what he says. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach, but do not practice. Don't follow their example. Insofar as they teach the truth, do that. But they don't practice what they preach. Don't look to them as an example of someone that's entering the kingdom of God. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will in no wise enter the kingdom of God. What a shock that must have been to them as they stood on the side of the mountain and heard Jesus preach those words. Therefore, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. How much we need the Savior and how much we need the cross and not a religious system. They don't practice what they preach. They say one thing and do another. They do not do the works they do. They do not preach, they, for they preach but do not do them. When I was in the military, sometimes we'd go on road marches and have to pack our rucksack. You know, your backpack, your rucksack. And you, you would put essential things in there like MREs or extra socks or T-shirts or clothing or, and ammunition and things like that. And what the Pharisees did is they took the rucksack of essentials for being godly and being in the kingdom of God and they packed it full of non-essentials. They put Snickers in there. Now for some of you, Snickers may be an essential. But when you're carrying a rucksack, you don't need something extra burden you, right? I mean, they just put rocks in the rucksack. They put things, vent things of their imagination and say, you need this, carry this. I come this morning and I think to myself, what a weighty message to preach this morning. One, one of our sisters this morning in Sunday school, as I was sitting there, they asked how she was doing. She said, I, well, I, I feel weary a lot of times. And beloved, I do not want to be guilty as a pastor of you entering this room any Sunday and preaching in such a way 
or by my example to make your burden heavier. But this is what the scribes and Pharisees were doing. My goal as your pastor is to seek to emulate what Jesus says. Come you to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. The Pharisees say, come to me and look at my example, and I'll give you something else to do. I'll tell you what the Word says, and I won't even do it myself. And I won't even lift a finger. You see what the Bible says in verse 4? They tie up heavy burdens, put them on people's backs, and they won't even lift a finger to help them out. Oh, God, help us not to be that way with one another. They do not practice what they preach. And so Hell's Academy Award goes to them. Secondly, they perform for their own glory. They perform for their own glory. As I mentioned tonight at the Oscars, it's comical because it's an award show for themselves. Who's putting this on? They are. They're putting on and they're putting this on for themselves to award themselves for what they've done. Why is it that they do what they do? Why is it that the Pharisees do what they do? Look at verse 5. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. You see that in verse 5? They do it all to be seen by others. They're performing for their own glory. They do all they do, they do all they do to be seen by others. Tonight at the Oscars, there'll be some gaudy outfits worn. Those who scream out about the mistreatment of women will show their flesh and flaunt, them, flaunt their bodies in front of everybody to see and say, that's just me being proud of being a woman. Hogwash. How silly it is, the gaunty flaunting of Hollywood, but how damning it is, the gaunty flaunting of those who claim to love the Lord but they're just flaunting their devotion before God. It says here in this passage of Scripture, for, verse 5, you see the middle of verse 5, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. So on their garments, they would have these little tassels, so to speak, and on their headgear with the little Scriptures inside of those, and that was something that they did in that day, but the Pharisees would make those tassels long, and they'd have these long phylacteries broad and long so everybody could see it and just how gaudy was that just how silly they must have looked to be walking around how obvious it should have been to people to say look look how showy they are they're all about themselves they just want to be seen and it's because they love attention verse 6 and they love the place of honor at feast and the best seats in the synagogues. They love attention. They love greetings in the marketplaces. They love being called rabbi. They love having a title. They love people to call them father or instructor or rabbi. They love prestige. They perform for their own glory. There's no humility about them. They exalt themselves rather than looking to Christ alone who is our instructor, and our Father in heaven who is our Father. 
They vaunt themselves, and verse 11 says, The greatest among you shall be servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. I'm thankful to, that right here in First Baptist Church, sitting right in these chairs this morning, there are many humble servants of God. Aren't you? Some of you went to church here at First Baptist for many years. Some of you not so long, but it's not taking you too long to get to know some of the humble servants here at this church family. People that are not looking for attention. People that have been serving, teaching in Sunday school or serving in the nursery or serving in other ways maybe you don't even know about. And they're not ringing their bell and waiting for somebody to toot their horn. They just know that their labor in the Lord's not in vain. And they don't have to be seen by others. They just need to serve God and serve His people. May by the grace of God we be like that and not perform for our own glory. So we need to think about our own motivations. Why do we do what we do? I wrestle with that when I preach. Why do I, why do I preach? Why do I work so hard on a sermon? Is it because I love God? Because I love the people? Is it because I, I want people to brag on me later, you know? It's me being transparent. God forbid that it should ever be for our own glory. So they do not practice what they preach. They perform for their own glory. And thirdly, they preach a false gospel. These that are going to receive Hale's Academy Award preach a false gospel. Sometimes we're afraid of sharing the gospel. I get nervous every time. Every time. And sometimes we might be nervous that if we were to talk to somebody about the Lord, we might, metaphorically speaking, get the door slammed in our face. Or literally, if we were to knock on someone's door, get the door slammed in our face. I understand that thought. Of all the times I've shared the gospel with people or tried to, I've had one door sort of slammed in my face, I guess. doesn't happen near as what we might think. But when these false teachers, when these play actors... When these who want to make converts of their own religious system, these scribes and Pharisees, when they do evangelism, when they seek to win people over to their side, they're the ones that slam the doors in people's faces themselves. They're trying to make converts and they slam the door to the kingdom of heaven. Look at what the Bible says in verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. Eric Alexander makes a great point about the, the story from Matthew chapter 12 where Jesus had done this tremendous miracle for all to see. And the people respond by saying, could this be the Christ? Could this be the, the Christ? Could this be the way? And the Pharisees and the religious leaders say he cast out demons by Beelzebub. And as they're saying to themselves, could this be the Christ? Could this be the entrance to the kingdom of God? They slam it in their face. They preach a false gospel and say, no, in effect, rely upon our religious system, our system of works. You don't need this Jesus. We need a Messiah to come and get rid of the Romans, but the sin problem is taking care of ourselves. We work our way on that by keeping the law of the old covenants. Don't mess with the system. And they slam the door in people's faces and because of it, 
they don't enter the heaven themselves. In verse 15, it says, they go to great lengths, they cross the sea, they would, they would have been so terrified of in that day to make a single proselyte, maybe to convert a Gentile to their form of Judaism. When he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. You see that? They preach a false gospel. Sometimes we refer to our kids sometimes that they're little monkeys because they're acting like little monkeys. But they're not little monkeys. They're little images of God. You have reproduced, by the grace of God, a little image of God, not a little monkey. We produce after our kind. Who we are is what we reproduce. And so it continues even after the little monkey is born, after the little image of God is born, we continue to reproduce our kind. And so parents, if you're a half-hearted Christian, guess what you're going to reproduce? Guess what kind of disciple you're going to make? If you're a legalistic, critical of other people that do, th do certain things and use their Christian liberty that way, and you talk about it with your kids, and you're not, make, you're not careful to clarify the grace of God and, and those sort of things, then guess what kind of little kid that's going to grow up to be? Critical, legalistic. If you're a false convert and you got people under your influence, whether that's children or grandchildren, but you're not saved, you don't know God, what kind of influence are you having on those you love? Those are under your charge. You'll make them twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. What a weight has been placed upon us in waging our influence because you disciple. But what kind of disciple are you making? They preach a false gospel. Number four, they major on minors while minimizing essentials. They major on minors while minimizing essentials. I say that because when we look at verse 16 through 24, we have two examples. We have the example of someone who says, cross my heart and hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. Well, you said cross my heart and hope to die, stick a needle in my eye, so how come you're not doing what you said? Because I had my fingers crossed behind my back. You know, kids do that sort of thing. This is a sort of thing that they were doing in verse 16 through 22. They were taking oaths and they were swearing by the temple. I swear by the temple of God that I will do this. Later on, you said you swore by the temple of God. Oh, but I swore by the gold of the temple, but not the temple itself. I swore by the altar. Or no, I swore by what was on the altar. Now the sacrifice on the altar is gone, so my oath is not in, in place anymore. That, that's what's going on in verse 16 through 22. You see the silliness? The lying, the deceit. There's some crazy drivers out there, and sometimes we may say to some of these crazy drivers, we might be one ourselves, are you blind? Does that ever come out of your mouth when you're in traffic? Are you blind? Sometimes 
these blind drivers, these crazy drivers, or some mistake they're making, they're looking at their phone trying to check an email. Instead of keeping their eyes on the road. You ever said that when you've been driving? Or they're adjusting the radio. I'm, I'm turning a knob. That shows how old I am. But, but they're not adjusting the mirror so they can see their blind spots. They're not, their eyes are not on the road. They're majoring on the minors, on things that are not important. And so it happens in these oaths. And it happens in the example of their tithing. Where they're tithing weeds. They're supposed to tithe. Tithe a lot of things. Calculate it up. Somebody says that an Israelite would have actually given about 23% of his income. But they would go and tithe things that they weren't required to give. Verse 23, look at it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin. Later he says, these things you ought to have done. There's nothing wrong with them doing that. Basically, those were herbs, some kind of weeds. They'd have ten weeds. Think about it. And they'd say, okay, this one's yours. These are mine. And they do that. They pay real close attention to that. And they're probably like what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 where he says, don't be like the hypocrites. When they go to the temple, they blow a trumpet so everybody will know they're about to give their alms. Don't be like the hypocrites who stand on the street corner and they pray out loud, real loud, so everybody can hear them. They probably did that with their money too. They're a little tied into their weeds. Getting attention for it. So they paid real scrupulous attention to weeds being tied, herbs being tied, but they neglected. What is it they minimized? What does the scripture say? The weighty matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. They do the outward things, but they neglect justice, faithfulness, and mercy. We know most of us about the coronavirus. One of the most beautiful sights in Wuhan, China right now, are people dressed in yellow suits. They wear yellow suits. and These are believers. Believers who... Some have remained in China who are missionaries, and many are just indigenous of China. They live in China. They're persecuted in China because of their faith, but right now they continue to preach the gospel and pass out gospel tracts as this man is, and also handing out these protective masks that can't be found anywhere. The Christians have been able to bring them into the country and pass them out so they might proclaim the gospel. They're showing justice and faithfulness and mercy. They're not sitting back at home watching Fox News getting mad about the world and say, oh, I wish things were different. Doing something about it. Preaching the gospel. And they're helping meet practical needs. They're not majoring on the minors and minimizing the essentials. Dr. Moeller, explaining verse 24, said, it's like they're eating a bowl of soup. Just imagine a bowl of soup in front of you. And in that bowl of soup, there's a gnat, or maybe there's a gnat. And then there's a camel, or part of a camel. 
And a gnat and a camel would have been considered unclean by a Jew in that day. You've been very careful not to make yourself contaminated by something like that. I'd be very careful anyway today, right? But he said, you blind fools. You strain out a gnat. Don't want that gnat in my mouth. You swallow the camel. That's the imagery right there. You major on the gnats, the miners, and you miss the obvious things that you ought to be paying attention to. Brothers and sisters, are we missing the obvious things we ought to be paying attention to as a church? Like the souls of the lost? Like the needs of our neighbor? Or... Number five, do we focus on the appearance of righteousness, of godliness, without internal holiness? That's what they did. They focused on the appearance of godliness, morality, doing the right things without internal holiness. We were out somewhere this week and saw some people dressed up very conservatively that when my sons concluded that they're probably Mennonites, and probably was, and he said, oh, he said, I saw those people there. They, they're, they're the, they were very religious. And he said that because of how they were dressed. And I said, well, I said, son, we're, we're religious too. <laughs> we just don't dress as conservatively. And this is no uh, knock on Mennonites and how they dress or anything at all. Uh, I think it's good to be modest in our dress, by the way. But these are the people who would major on the minors. They would focus on the outward appearance and say, modesty, 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 but inside be ugly as all get out. Right? That's what the Pharisees and Sadducees were doing, and sometimes we can do that too. They were whitewashed tombs in Israel. They cleaned the outside of the cup and the plate, verse 25. You don't want me washing the dishes at your house, okay? Because I'm going to do it fast. Every once in a while, Dana hands me back one and says, you, you missed this. I said, it looks good to me. You missed this in here. Got to get the inside clean. said, you're like whitewashed tombs. In Israel's day, the reason that's significant you can just imagine somebody being out there with a power washer washing off tombstones. Well, they didn't have power washers in Jesus' day, but they did wash them off with some lime um, stuff that they got together. And the reason they did that is, is if you accidentally touched a tombstone around Israel, especially when you're coming in for a pilgrimage and didn't know where cemeteries and stuff were at, you would be considered ceremonially unclean. So you didn't want to touch a tombstone. And so these whitewashed tombstones glaring white in the sunlight from a distance made it very obvious how you could avoid that. And they say, he says to them, you're very careful to do that. You're like those whitewashed tombs. My wife and I were in Gettysburg Cemetery, National Cemetery, last summer. And 3,500 Union soldiers uh, are buried underneath those grounds. The grounds are beautiful. The monuments are beautiful. The grounds are beautiful. But underneath are the long-ago decaying corpses of these men. 
And Jesus says to them, you're like whitewashed tombs. You look like everything's great on the outside, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. You're rotten. You're spiritually dead. But you focus on the outward appearance. As long as you keep up appearances, you're not concerned about what you look on the inside. So folks, it comes really back to the fact that God's concerned about the heart. But please don't misunderstand that. Oh, so-and-so's doing this. Well, but they've got a good heart. None of our hearts are right with God. You understand that? None of us are seeking after God. All our righteousness is like filthy rags. Our hearts are despicable in the sight of God. And first they must be cleansed by work of the Holy Spirit through faith alone in Jesus Christ. But the emphasis in verse 26 and again in verse 28, inside but within, so we teach our children. Sweetheart, the reason you're acting like this right now is because something's wrong on the inside. I'm more concerned about what's on the inside right now than I am even concerned about your behavior. Your behavior is a symptom of something much more serious. So they focus on the appearance of godliness without internal holiness. Are we like that sometimes? Really proud of our morality that we're not like that and we're not like that? Well, look at the sixth point I want to make and about these that are going to receive Hale's Academy Award. They're far worse than they think they are. They are far worse than they think they are. They, Jesus talks to them. In these verses, in verse 29, What do you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, you build the tombs of the prophets, decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, so they go to the tombstones of God's men and women that were used of God back in the day to bring God's message. Yes, they were prophetesses back in the day. That doesn't mean we have female preachers today. We don't. That's not right. Okay? Don't have female pastors. So don't misunderstand. But they'd go to these tombstones and they'd decorate them and mourn over them and say, oh, if it would have been us, we wouldn't do what our fathers did. We wouldn't have killed the prophets like our fathers did. Well, they just let something slip out there because Jesus comes right back and says, so you admit your fathers did this. Then he says, what's the next verse? Fill up the measure of your fathers. That's a strange thing for Jesus to say. What's he saying? Go on and do what you're going to do. Your fathers rejected the word of God. And now the word of God is standing in front of you incarnate. Jesus Christ, the word of God. And you don't like what he's saying. Jesus knows it. And he says, fill up the measure of your fathers. Your fathers did this, but you're going to go all the way to the limit. You're going to fill it up. You're going to do far worse than your fathers did. They're going to crucify the very Son of God. They are far worse than they think they are. Now let me give you a little bit of application. One is this, and it goes right with what we just said. They're far worse than they think they are. Do not think this is only them. Do not think this, these things, is only them. 
but don't continue as they did. John Stott said, before we begin to see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us. I love the words of the hymn that we'll sing toward the end this morning. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life, and I know that it's finished. Do not think this is only them. So in preparing this message this week, this has been tough to prepare because God's worked on me. And I've had to ask myself, do I practice what I preach? Do I lay heavy burdens upon those under my influence and not willing to do it myself? Do I preach a false gospel? What kind of disciples am I making? I know I'm far worse than I think I am. Do I focus on the fact that I've never done that sin? But there's things inside of me that I just kind of excuse and not worry about. Do I major on the minors? And you know, I'm real concerned about certain things here, but, but neglect things that, that are absolutely essential? And I believe that's the intent of the passage of Scripture. I believe that as this word's preached and you sit here and listen, it's supposed to infect you that way. I think that we're supposed to evaluate ourselves and be challenged by this. And so do not think this is only them, but don't continue as they did. And so in my own time with the Lord this week, I bow my head, I get down on my knees, and I say, God, show me, show me where I'm guilty of some of these things and where I am. Lord, forgive me. Help me to do better. Don't continue as they did. But the thing is, when Jesus preached this to the Pharisees and scribes, they continued as they were. They went right ahead right after this, and they crucified the Prince of Glory. They did not humble themselves in their pride. They did not admit, we are wrong. We are acting. We are devoted to the wrong religious system. Oh, God, forgive. Help, and he would have. He says in the next few verses, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. What compassion our God has. What compassion he has in the next verse after this, that he sends the prophets even after them. And even after his crucifixion and resurrection, he sends other prophets. He sends the church, and they kill them as well. Why does he send them? His intent is to be merciful upon all those who would call upon them, even if they've been play-acting their whole life. Even if you've been play-acting your whole life, devoted to the wrong religious system, propagating it, if you would call upon the name of the Lord, there is mercy and compassion for you. So I would say to us here this morning, as God convicts, just stop and pray and be thankful he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, please listen. There's another message that you must hear. And that's this. Turn away 
from your sincere devotion to your false religious system. These men were sincerely devoted to their false religious system. Sincerely devoted to it. And they were not willing to turn away from it. Many people's religious system is like this. As I heard one man describe, it's like we had monkey bars in the school is what we called them. You know what monkey bars are? You can go from one rung to the next. And a lot of people's religious system is like that. I'm going to do this. We got baptized. I'm going to do this. I went through this thing the church says to do. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this and this and this. And then they bump into Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, let go and put all your trust in me. And for the Pharisees and scribes, I ain't letting go. I do that. I'm denying my fathers. I'm denying everything I've ever known. And Jesus said to one of them, he said, you must be born again. It was to shake him off the monkey bars. It was to shake him off his system of religious works and to say, let go. You must be born again. I can't be born again. Right. You need Christ. Christ alone. Trust in him. Aren't you getting tired of hanging on? Aren't you worn out of thinking that it's up to you to go through this and this and this and this and this? Jesus paid it all. Turn away from your sincere devotion to your false religious system. And finally, church, love people enough to speak to them about their false religious system. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing right here, is he not? He's loving them enough to speak to them. He's going to send them apostles and prophets later on. He says in verse 34, Therefore I send you prophets and wise men. They're going to kill them. He's going to send them. He says, Jerusalem to Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you. Vast implications for us as a church family as we seek to be intentional as Todd spoke about this morning. Everywhere and every day in our own mission fields or if we're involved and everyone hears as we go and we know we're going to run into people who claim to be very religious. We already have, as we've been doing everyone here, as you have as a believer uh, for the last 20 years. If you run into lost people, most people around here are going to tell you they're religious. But most people around here are devoted to the wrong religious system. They're devoted devoted to the monkey bars. They're devoted to a ladder they're seeking to climb. Jesus came down here and destroyed the ladder. Jesus came down here and made a way, a bridge. And it's through Christ that we're reconciled, faith alone in him. So we run into people who are very religious, who tell us they go to this church and that church, and we're like, well, that's what they say. Well, how am I supposed to handle that? And That's a good question. We need some more intentional training on, and I won't try to go into that right now. Some of you probably think I've already preached too long. What do we do with people that are religious? You share the gospel. You share the gospel. You must at least do that. Our responsibility is simply to share the gospel. 
And if they still think they're saved after you've shared the gospel and you're not so sure they are, that you can't make that happen in their heart. You pray for them, you go back if God leads you. But you must share the gospel. One thing's for sure, if somebody doesn't hear the gospel, they'll definitely go to hell. So proclaim the gospel. We're told in verse 39, For I tell you, not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They had already said that on Palm Sunday before Matthew 24. What's Jesus talking about? He's saying there's coming a day when they're going to say, everybody's going to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Everybody, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Some of these who reject now will be saved. Some of these religious but lost people will, by God's grace, be saved, and God will use you for that, and some will not. But they will recognize one day when he comes that they were wrong. Fulfill our responsibility and love people enough that are devoted to the wrong religious system to go tell them the good news of the gospel. Would you bow your head with me? Father, we ask that your spirit would work in us what needs to be worked. Lord, that we would be followers of Jesus. Lord, make us more like Christ. Where we've been convicted this morning, I pray that you would cleanse us and help us not be hardened in pride and Make excuses. Get offended. God, help us to be humble. Thank you that you are faithful and just to forgive and cleanse. And Father, I thank you that you're, you're ready this morning. You're ready to receive all those who would call upon you. So we pray for those among us who have not truly been born again that they would let go and hold on to Christ and Him alone. Lord, as we leave this place, may we be ready to love people enough to tell them the truth about their soul. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to stand right now and sing this closing hymn together. And if you want to come and pray as we're singing, I'll pray with you. You can pray alone, but you come right now. If God's speaking otherwise, let's stand and sing together.